The authority of the gospel rests in the fact that God, that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. And yet the fulfillment of the gospel will be that day when you come and call us home. And so we have already this morning begun in the sixth day of December of 2020 to highlight a little bit differently the joy of the Christmas season. We reflected as the children sang to us that yes, out of Bethlehem, which was prophesied so many hundred years prior to the advent of our Savior, that proves to us that the Word of God is true. And then your coming, O Lord Jesus, proves to us that God's love is true. And your coming again will prove to us that your promise is true. How we thank you that in this season we reflect more intently upon the reality of our salvation. I thank you, Lord, for each and every one that is here today. Granted, we may not all be in the same room, but whether we're here in the sanctuary, the middle room, or the fellowship hall, or even at home, viewing at home, I thank you for each and every one. I pray that you would fill their homes with a joy that is exceeding and full of glory. Those who are sick among us, O Lord, I pray for their healing, that you would lift them up. We remember our dear sister Dana Folds, and God, I pray that through the extent of her chemotherapy that she is presently engaged in, how I ask, O God, for your mercy. (laughs) Give to her a healing that the doctors cannot provide. Give to her a strength that resides in your name. And I pray, Lord, for not only for Dana, but for her family. As they witness her illness, I pray, God, too, that they would witness your glory. I pray for also, Lord, for Bob Bechtel and the most recent emails that we've gotten concerning his health. As the doctors contemplate, O oh Lord, an abrasion for an ablation for his heart, I pray that you would direct them. I ask that you would give him strength, and certainly with Deb, that Crystal had eye surgery. I pray God that you would strengthen her as she ministers to both her daughter and her husband. Give her the strength that would allow her the privilege of not only being able to minister to them, but be ministered by you. Lord, I thank you for this morning again, this bright and wonderful morning, the glorious sunset that greeted us, the anticipation of hearing from you, from your word today, excites us. And I pray the application of your word to our lives will change us all for your glory and for your honor and blessing. 
And we ask these things in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Why don't you stand and welcome those around you this morning to the service here at Grace Community Church. Colossians is. It's a small book. Uh, Just a few dates to uh, let you guys know about the youth. Uh, December 12th, that is this coming Saturday, we are going to be having, we're calling it a make and bake. Uh, We're going to be making and baking cookies for the cantata on the next day, which did I hear correctly, are there disco cow, or not cowboys, disco, (laughs) disco shepherds in this? So come for the disco shepherds, stay for the cookies. I'm excited about Disco Shepherds, personally. Uh, But we are going to be meeting at 6 o'clock, making cookies for the cookie social after the cantata. So come on out. Um, We're going to have a really good time doing a few other things for uh, church members as well. Also, December 20th is going to be our Christmas party for Ignite. We're meeting at the same time as normal, uh, but it's all going to be a big Christmas party. So uh, two things we want to make sure you guys are, are aware of. First is we're going to be playing a kind of white elephant game, so bring a $5 gift wrapped. That's it. Don't go over $5, okay? So, because we don't want people fighting over that one gift. So, (laughs) it's a $5 gift. Make sure it's wrapped. And the other thing is make sure you're wearing, if you have it, some people call it, you know, your Christmas garb. It's an ugly sweater. Um, ugly Christmas sweaters. That's what we're going for, okay? <laughs> uh, if you don't want to call it an ugly sweater because grandma gave it to you and you don't want to hurt her feelings, that's fine, but it is what it is, okay? Um, I will be wearing one, so just to let you know. Uh, so we want to make sure we have those things set away, and we'll have a few more reminders coming up for those. Uh, as well, for the young adults meeting, remember this week we're meeting at 6 o'clock for our monthly dinner here. Um, So that'll be on Tuesday at 6 o'clock for the young adults. So to the scripture reading, we are in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, starting in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he is the first in everything. For God in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. 
Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning that you've given us, this time to come worship you. Uh, Lord, to hear beautiful music being played, to greet one another, Lord, to have fellowship, and Lord, to hear your word. Lord, we ask that you would bless each and every one of us here and each and every one of us watching. Lord, bless our hearts today with the message from Pastor Doug. Lord, help us to apply it to our lives, to take it with us, and apply it uh, not just today, but throughout this week and throughout this month, Lord, as we recognize this Christmas season. Lord, be with each and every one of us who are ailing, uh, whether physically, Lord, or spiritually, even emotionally, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would bring healing to each and every one of us. Lord, go with us this day. Uh, Just bless the rest of this service, Lord, and we praise and thank you in your name. Amen. Go sit down. Remember, your office is not far from mine. A beautiful day today. I'll tell people when I was born, the doctor slapped my mother instead of me because I was so ugly. And that hasn't wore off. At the end of every season, whether football, baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, whatever is your sport, at the end of every season, there is a championship game. Whether they play the Super Bowl, whether they play the World Series, whether they play the NBA basketball championships, whether they play the Stanley Cup, each one of those sports strives for one thing, for a trophy. In the, in the stands, other than this year, but in the stands, in case you didn't know it, the Los Angeles Dodgers won the World Series this year. Big deal. No one was there. But in years past, the stands would be full of people yelling and screaming and elated Unfortunately, that even boiled over into the riots in some cities, and I could never really figure that out, but there was a lot of noise. But what's amazing is there is the loudest crowd gathered, and it's not in either one of those stadiums or those facilities. It's on the 16th hole of a golf course in Phoenix, Arizona, where they play the Phoenix Open. It's a par three course, a par three hole, excuse me, that over the years they have built a stadium seating that engulfs the whole hole. And the crowd there is elated when in an individual Fortunately, is fortunate enough to get a hole-in-one. They've done studies, and they've had these meters and everything like that, and when someone like that does something fantastic on that hole, it elevates to the sound of three jet engines. 
if you were standing behind them. It is that loud. It is that boisterous. It is that elation. The ones in the stands didn't do anything. They weren't the ones who hit the ball. They weren't the ones who walked the fairway to get there. They're just in the stands watching. The same way with every other sport. Bud Wilkinson used to say the calamity of college football is that there are 22 people in shape on the field and there's 60,000 fans out of shape cheering them on. But all of a sudden that changes. When we come into church, we button up. We be still. And there are times, I granted, there are times when we should be still before our Savior. I understand that fully. It was a command that Moses gave to the nation of Israel on the shore of the Red Sea when he said, Stand and behold the wonder of our God. But I read in the book of the Revelation, specifically in chapter 4 and chapter 5, that at times in heaven it's not quiet. There's no way that you can have thousands upon thousands, ten thousands times ten thousand singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. It's loud. And then in chapter 4, the beasts around the throne of God are proclaiming continuously, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. It's not quiet. There used to be a time when when I was much younger that there was a a moment in the service where we would sing the doxology. It was usually when the offering plates were brought forward. I don't know if that was to gin up more money or whatever, but the offering plates were brought forward and everyone began to sing, Praise God from whom... You, You know the song. We called it the doxology. The word doxology comes, interestingly, from two Greek words. Doxa, meaning praise. Logos, meaning word or words. So it's words of praise that we were singing, all in unison at one time. I've struggled this whole month only in, we're only in it six days, but prior to December 1st, I was struggling, especially when, when my wonderful wife said, what are you going to do for December? I was lost. I didn't have a theme. I didn't have a, a particular garning, and I found out when you don't have that and you have to stand in front of people, you get on your knees before God. What do you want? What I want to do this whole month of December is to 
solidify our Christmas traditions by focusing on biblical theology. Sometimes traditions have a way of overriding biblical theology. We use terms like, well, we've never done it that way. Now, you probably have never said that in your home, but that's come across before. We just, we've never done it that way. Why? As the fiddler on the roof, tradition, tradition. So what I want to do through the whole month of December is the theme is what's in the gift box. But I want to unwrap four gifts this month. The first gift being what Pastor Steve read for us as a doxology to the wonder and the eminence and the preeminence of our Savior. If you're like me, I, from a theological position, I have a tough time visualizing God who is all of this for him to become this. How does that happen? What is the reality from a theological position of this? There are some religious beliefs that hold their theological persuasion from the fact that Jesus never really started, never really was in anything until he was born. We call that Arianism. Arianism was begun way back in many years before I was born, and most likely before you were born, back in 285 A.D., by an individual from the church that was established in Alexandria, Egypt, by the name of Arius. Arius began to preach, began to teach, and began to prophesize, if you will, the belief that Jesus did not come on the scene until he was born. In other words, he had a beginning. Up to that point, there was no such thing as the Son of God. It was refuted in 328 A.D. by Constantinople, or Constantine, who was the ruling king at that time. He gathered church leaders and they met in a, in, a, in a city called Nicaea. And it was there in 328 A.D. that they developed what's called the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed was written for the purpose of solidifying the theological truth that Jesus, who is the Christ, always was. He's eternal. He is equal co-equal with God the Father and Holy Spirit. From that, over the years, there has been another group who have taken hold of, if you will, Arius' thought. 
And periodically they visit you at your door. They knock. And they begin to share with you their idea of how it is you can go to heaven. And they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but He became the Son of God. He wasn't always. He became at His birth. So with that in mind, sometimes traditions overweigh reality. And so Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 13 to verse 20, is a doxology. There are five things I want us to look at in this particular passage, and we'll highlight them as we go along. But there's five things that direct us to the preeminence of Jesus Christ, not only in his birth, but in his ministry. And some of you may think this sounds more like an Easter sermon. Well, I'm here to tell you Easter couldn't happen until Christmas began. So this morning, if you would take out your study guide and turn with me to it, because I want to speak this morning concerning the preeminence of Jesus Christ. What we have here in these eight verses, verse 13 to 20, is a compilation, if not, as one artist, one author says, some of the most exalting statements about Christ contained in a single passage. This morning I want to share with you, first of all, that Christ is preeminent in His purchase. In verses 13 and verses 14, it highlights for us the purpose of why Jesus Christ came. It was to purchase us. It says in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 1 that he was delivered, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the love of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sin. Those two Passages or those two verses alone command about an hour of explanation. But I won't do that to you. But I do want to highlight some very important key thoughts. First of all, we have been removed. We have been set free from a kingdom of darkness and put into a kingdom of of light, the Son of Love. That's an interesting statement that is used there because it usually highlights the fact of changing of a almost a nation. I, I wonder if the Apostle Paul had in mind the reality of when the nation of Israel didn't behave itself, it was delivered from home to another nation. The picture is being removed from where you are and placing you 
where God wants you to be. And when Paul wrote this concerning our Savior in this doxological passage, he reminds the people at Colossae who were beginning to be engaged in this false teaching that Christ was not the Son of God. And in it, he begins by laying hold of the foundational truth, dear people, that is even present today, that we have been set free from the darkness of our enemy. His kingdom is evident even in this world. It doesn't take long before you peruse whether you watch the news or read the papers or listen to the radio or watch YouTube or Facebook. It's not long before you wonder and you scratch your head and say, what's going on? What's happening? What's the world coming to? And I've got one answer for that. The end. But we as children of God have been removed from one kingdom and placed in a kingdom of light. But verse 14 tells us how that's done. Verse 13 gives us the truth. Verse 14 gives us the reason. Because it says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption. In ancient biblical times, a slave could never be set free unless someone was willing to redeem them. In that redemption, there was a price that had to be paid for that slave. And until someone came forward and literally paid that full price, that slave remained a slave. But just in case you may have forgotten this Christmas season, the price has been paid by Jesus Christ. Now, if you were on the 16th hole of the par 3 in the Phoenix Open, that should have gotten a little bit better reaction. Because we're talking about Jesus, who's worthy of all praise, the doxology of him. He paid the price. He redeemed us. Not only did he pay the price, but he took us from the store and has taken us home one day at a time. We've been redeemed. The songwriter said it well, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been redeemed. Christ paid the price. And not only did he pay the price, but it's secondly in verse 14, and has forgiven us our sins. That word forgiven is somewhat slighted too often in our theological realm. The word literally means never to be brought up again. The Scriptures tells us that when Jesus Christ has redeemed us and has forgiven us our sins, They are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. 
We sing the song, Buried in the Deepest Sea. Yes. But what's amazing about that is this, is that we have a God who remembers everything, but He refuses to bring that up again. We've been set free. Someone just made a hole in one. You ought to be praising Jesus. The second part is just as powerful because Christ is preeminent in His person. Verses 15 all the way down to 19, it highlights different aspects of this. But Christ is preeminent in His person. One author said it this way, Christ is superior in who He is and surpassing in all He does. What makes Christ preeminent in His person? For in Him, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. Now, you try to figure that out as a baby lying in a manger, that in Him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You try to figure that out when we read later on in Luke's Gospel chapter 2 as the Gospel, that, that particular chapter begins to stop and all of a sudden you read a verse that says, and He grew in the knowledge of God. He, who the fullness of the Godhead dwelt. It messes me up. I can't be, even begin to comprehend all that that means. All I do know is that the day that is recorded in, in Luke chapter 2, my favorite passage during this season, when the shepherds were met with angels, and the angels said, Fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And you cross-reference that word Savior over to Matthew chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel is talking to Joseph, and he said, He will save His people from their sins. A baby? Yes. He came. He is God. Eternal. Always was. Always will be. Never changing. He is preeminent in His person. Because in His person, dear people, is this... He is, as Paul describes it, He is the image of the invisible God. This is the one who was in a boat and said to the waves, Be still. This is the one who convinced five loaves and two, or two loaves and five fish to feed thousands. This is the one who said to the wild man at Gadara, Come unto me. This is the one who spoke to you and said, Whosoever believeth in me will never perish, but have everlasting life. He's the image of the invisible God. 
And he answered that when Thomas asked him in John 14, when he said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, right here. This is who He is. He is me. Me is Him. Now you spin some Jehovah Witnesses on that one and they'll leave you. They won't bother you anymore. Because they know you're a lost cause. You can mess the mind up of a Mormon by proclaiming that truth. That Jesus Christ is not His first and last name. He is the promised one. He is the image of the invisible God. And He declares it to be so. And Paul is setting the record straight in order that the classy and that Grace Community Church we get our theology correct so that we can wonderfully share our traditions. The third one is this. Christ is preeminent in His position. He's the first one. (laughs) Now this is the the verse that got Arius all flustered. Because he said, see right here, He was the first one born of all creation. (laughs) Okay, Arius. Um... He manipulated the Greek language a little bit in order to prove his point. And which, by the way, we can do the same thing. We can go to any passage in the Scripture and have it say what we want it to say instead of letting it speak for itself. Oh, that got quiet that time. Literally, what that verse is referring to is that Jesus Christ is the preeminent of all that He created. He's also referred to in Scriptures as the firstborn from death. He's the first fruits. Oh, He is preeminent in His position. He reigns. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And please, dear people, I know we can get all jacked up about the election, but I want to tell you something. Jesus Christ is still seated on the throne. He's there. He's not flustered because He knows the end. And here's the end. He's coming. Jesus Christ is coming again. He's the King. And in fact, Job in his conversation with God realizes the fact that if it wasn't for God, no one would live. God, if you were to take your breath away, we would all be consumed. His position is exalted above all. That's why Luke can write in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 that at the name of of Jesus. There is no other way. No other name given under heaven amongst men whereby anybody can be saved. And in Philippians chapter 2, just one book over, Paul writes, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. I'll let you in on a little secret. 
I can't wait to be in the stadium. It ain't going to be the 16th hole in the Phoenix Open, but it's going to be in the halls of heaven. And when Satan bows to Jesus and says, You are Lord. Oh, it ain't going to get quiet that time. It's going to be big time. Hallelujah. Shouting. Done. Get me going on that. Number four. Christ is preeminent in His power. He is the Creator of all that that there is. John chapter 1 reminds us that by Him all things were created, for without Him was not anything made that was made. He is the Creator of all that there is. Genesis chapter 1 lets us in on the little secret when it uses the word God there, meaning Elohim, meaning the triune Godhead. Jesus Christ was there at the very beginning of creation. And John tells us that in John chapter 1, verse 1, For in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He is the Creator. Not only is He the Creator, but He is also, in verse 17, the one who holds it all together. It isn't going to fall apart, dear people. Christ has got it in control. He holds all things together. Lastly, Christ is preeminent in His provision. In His provision. Through Him, in verse 20 it says, God reconciled the whole world unto Himself. That term reconciliation literally means bringing back into proper relationship. That which was lost is now found. That which was wandering is now corralled. We are where we should be. God has brought us back to Himself. And not only that, but verse 20 reminds us that the way that this was accomplished through the shedding of the blood of Christ. I wonder if it was at these words that Mary pondered all of these things. Because later on in Luke chapter 2, as Jesus is brought to the temple eight days after He's born, He meets two individuals. Two individuals share with Mary the joy, the elation of the Messiah that has been born, but also what He came for. A sword will pierce you, Mary. The blood of Christ was shed. If we were on the 16th hole in the Phoenix Open, also known as the Waste Management Open, at this doxology, there would be a sound that heaven couldn't even contain a sound of praise. Rick and and Bev, you stay still. Just stay there. 
Let's stand together and let's sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Unto you, our Father, we lift our praise and rejoice in Christ our Savior, preeminent in all that He is and supreme in all that He does. And He came and dwelt among us, beginning as a babe, leaving as a crucified Savior. Our hearts are filled with praise because of what Jesus has done for us. May that ring true in our hearts throughout the rest of this week that we would know and understand our God reigns. And it's in Christ I ask this blessing upon all of your people here, O Lord God. Amen.